And I know I'm the only thing standing between you, you and some volleyball and you and a bucket of KFC fried chicken. So I'm going to do my best to preach what God has laid on my heart and hopefully keep that spirit of victory alive in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. First Samuel chapter 30. And as was already mentioned, it's also really good to have Elder Sis Worley's mother in the house of the Lord with us. We're so honored that you came. Amen. First Samuel chapter 30 and verse number 1. And it came to pass when David and his men were, were come to Ziklag. On the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and, smit, and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captive that were therein. They slew not any either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. You ever been in a position like that? So much pressure, so much pain so much turmoil that you weep until there ain't no more tears left uh, in, the, in the tank. Amen. They cried until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest and Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me an ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him. The Lord gave him an answer. Pursue. Everybody say pursue. First he prayed, and this was the answer. Pursue, and thou shalt overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Everybody say recover all. I like that word, recover all. Not some, not a little. Recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and they came to the brook Basor, and, when the, and, and those that were left behind stayed. Where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and the 400 men. For 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook of Basor. It went from bad to worse. Now they've got an army that was 600, now down to 400. Because 200 of, of them are too tired and worn down. And they weep so much they got no more strength left within them. Let's skip down to verse number 16. And when he had brought him down, behold, speaking of the enemy, they were spread abroad upon all the earth. Look at the enemy's attitude. Eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. You got a great big difference between David and his army and the Amalekites that have come in and taken everything that they hold dear. You got one group that's weeping and crying, 
until they have no more power to weep. And you've got an adversary that did nothing but sweep in on people that were unarmed and take them that are drinking and eating and dancing and rejoicing. Because look at the great victory that we won over unarmed people. Sounds like the devil to me. But look at David's response. And David smote them from the twilight evening until the evening of the next day. David said, I'm not letting any of you escape. I'm going to take an entire day out just to whoop up on you. Amen. There was only 400 which rode away on camels and fled. And I love this verse. And David recovered all. Everybody say recovered all. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them. If you don't got a reason to shout, I think you just got one right there. There was nothing lacking to them. Neither small, God cares about small things, or great. God cares about great big things too. Neither sons, God cares about your kids. God cares about your daughters. God cares about your stuff. Neither spoil nor anything that had been taken from them. David recovered all. Everybody shout, recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds which they drave before those other cattle. In other words, he didn't just get everything back that he lost. He took their stuff too. I love David. Isn't David one of your heroes, man? I just love David. I love David's attitude. And look what the Bible says. And said, this, see, I got back everything that was mine. I got everything back that was yours. But David said, this is David's spoil. This victory is my victory. Amen. And I want to preach to us for a few moments with the help of the Holy Ghost on this subject. Take it back. You ought to turn to your neighbor and tell him, take it back. Turn to your other neighbor and tell him with enthusiasm, take it back. You ought to turn to the person behind him and tell you, take it back. Ain't nobody behind you. Take that seat back too. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to clap your hands and give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Come on. Let's give God praise all across this house. Hallelujah. Jesus name. God bless you. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Amen. Take it back. Amen. We find the preface to our text here today that David, the young shepherd boy, the one that wrote songs to God that was so anointed that when Saul was possessed with an evil spirit, he played so skillfully that the devil himself ran from the skillful playing of David. I thank God for good musicians and good singers and anointed people that will play so well and sing under such anointing and practice and prepare so that even the devil does not feel comfortable in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. I believe there's power in that. David is the one that took care of his father's sheep. And we know David. If I were to say the name David, everybody would say Goliath. Because we know David was the young boy that while all of Israel was shaking in their boots and their armor, David was the one that decided, I'm going to go and I'm going to fight this uncircumcised Philistine. I want you to notice something about the mindset of David. David did not even call him a giant. 
David did not call him by his name. He didn't acknowledge him. He was just another one that was not in relationship and covenant with God. He was just another. See, there's some people, they want to glorify the devil. They want to make the devil bigger than he is. But even the Bible prophesies that one day, the Bible says we're going to look upon him narrowly. Amen. He's going to be a little individual. And we're going to look upon him and say, is this the one that caused all the worlds to tremble? I want to tell you, it's not time to glorify your devils. It's not time to make your mountains bigger. It's time to glorify your God. came to preach to somebody that's making their devils bigger than he needs to be. I want to tell you, God's bigger than any adversary. God's bigger than any sickness. God's bigger than any mountain. God's bigger than any giant. God's bigger than any trouble you and I could face. Somebody ought to clap your hands and give God praise. Amen. And so David goes, he doesn't even call him a giant. He doesn't even take a sword or a spear. He just takes a shepherd's crook and a slingshot. I love David. He took himself a little pocket knife. Amen. He took himself a little slingshot. He didn't even grab BBs. He just grabbed a couple smooth stones from a brook. And he said, you come out to me with swords and spears, but I come to you with something better. You come to me with something tangible that, that you can see and it scares all your enemies. You come to me with a spirit of intimidation, but I come to you with something you can't see, but you certainly are about to feel. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. This is why David would say, some trust in chariots, some trust in swords and spears and horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. David got a revelation that we've got today. There's nothing like the name of Jesus to make all of hell tremble. There's nothing more powerful than the name of Jesus to make your past tremble, to make your shame and guilt tremble. When you bring the name of Jesus, every adversary has got to bow. David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And the name of the Lord was powerful enough to turn that, that, that rock into a 45 caliber right between the eyes. It was so powerful that that guy didn't even have time to react. He fell forward on his face, landed in his own, landed and shut his own mouth. Amen. David was then brought into the army of Saul. He was given a commandment of Saul because Saul saw him as a threat. David was an asset, but he saw him as a threat. And this is the danger when people start losing out with God. They start looking at other things that God has given them that are assets, and they start seeing them as threats. They see the church no longer as an asset, but they see the church as a threat. They see church services as a threat, not an asset. They see worship as a threat, not an asset. They see prayer meetings as a threat and not an asset. They see the preacher as a threat and not an asset. I want to help you here today. Don't be like Saul. Saul saw David as a threat, but David was his greatest asset. David quickly was given task after task to conquer the Philistines. And if he did this, then he would, he would get uh, favor and he would get to marry the daughter of Saul. But all of this was a trap. All of this was to try to destroy David because King Saul knew this is going to be the next king. And I've got to take him out before he gets there. But you see... 
Somebody that's anointed of God, it doesn't matter what you do to them, they're going to keep getting up. Somebody that's got a prayer life, it doesn't matter what you say about them, they're going to get up off their knees after praying, and they're going to be all right. It doesn't matter what spears you throw at them, what insults you hurl at them. When you're anointed of God and you got a prayer life and you got a worship life and you got to walk with God, it doesn't matter what the adversary brings. It doesn't matter what other people bring. Uh, you're going to be all right. David, David was all right. David kept winning battle after battle after battle. And through this, David began to fall out of favor with King Saul. Now he was a greater threat than he ever could be. It was not because he did anything wrong. Quite the contrary, it was because he did everything and really too much too right. He did too much of it correctly. This is why they sang the song, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. That's really how some people can be. They look at those that are doing better than them, and they see that as a threat. They see somebody that has gone further than them, and so they see them as a threat. But the truth is, Saul, the only reason David could slay his ten thousands is because he's standing on the shoulder of a man that has made it possible by killing his thousands. Saul, because of your greatness, you've allowed David to be even greater. But he didn't see it that way. He saw David as a threat. Saul has on multiple occasions tried to have David die in battles that were meant to be impossible, but God delivered him out of all of his troubles. Amen. God was with David, and no matter what battle he faced, no battle destroyed him. Amen. That's why the Bible says, greater is he that is within us than he that is within the world. When it did not work, the Bible declares that Saul took a spear from the side of his throne and threw it right at David, trying to pin him to the wall. But God delivered him even from Saul. Finally, Saul sent some assassins to kill David while he slept. But I want to tell you about the anointed man of God. He's just a little slippery. You can't pin him to the wall. You can't kill him in battle. The Bible declares you couldn't even assassinate him. David slipped out the window before anybody knew he was there, and David got away. You think that being rid of David was enough for Saul, but it wasn't. He didn't just want David gone. He wanted David eliminated. Uh, Saul got his army, and he chased David into the mountains and into the caves. He trapped. David. Uh, David got to the place. He was so desperate. He proclaimed in 1 Samuel 27 and 1, David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul, and there is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, uh, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me. Uh, amen. Out of the coast of Israel, I've got to escape out of his hand. Uh, David said, if I don't get out of this cave, if I don't get out of this trap, Amen. One day or another, Saul's finally going to get me. Uh, so David did the calculations and made it up in his mind. Uh, I'm going to go into the land of the Philistines. 
He went into the land of his enemy where Goliath came from and said, if I can't survive in the land of the people of God, I'm going to survive out here, amen, amongst my enemies and let my enemies be my defense. And verse number 4 says, Saul didn't even consider to seek him in the land of the Philistines. The Bible declares David escaped from the hand of Saul to King Achish. And he said, King, I need you to grant me some land. And that's when the king gave him Ziklag. After going into battle, they'd been in Ziklag for a while. They went raiding camp after camp, fighting and doing as much battle as they could. After going into battle and raiding the enemy camps, David and his men come back to the city of Ziklag that Achish had given to David earlier. And when they arrive, uh, to their absolute horror, they find that Ziklag has been burned by the hated Amalekites. Uh, amen. David and his men had recently defeated some of the Amalekite raiders. Uh, and this, no doubt, was their revenge. Uh, this was their retribution for that defeat. Worse than any of the damage to the city was the fact that the families of David and all the warriors had been captured and made prisoners of the Amalekites. This story highlights one of the most gut-wrenching chapters in David's life. And it also reveals to us many truths about God and how he works in the lives of his people in times of great trauma and in times of great stress. Ziklag actually means to press someone or something to reveal what's on the inside. Can I help somebody here today that's in a Ziklag moment? God was using Ziklag to press on to David. Hallelujah. For those that got God all mixed up that think that pressure only comes from the adversary and pressure only comes from external sources. Uh, I want to tell you we serve a God that is trying to find out what's on the inside of you and what's on the inside of me. God is the God that allows both trials and assaults from the enemy into our lives. Uh, that feels absolutely overwhelming. Uh, but lest you think uh, that God's mean or God's cruel, it's important for us to acknowledge uh, that when these horrible seasons of pain uh, enter our lives, uh, we got to remind ourselves uh, that this was God's work. Uh, and this is God. Uh, and God is up uh, to something. You ought to turn to your neighbor and tell him God's up to something. When you're struggling, God's up to something. When you feel pressure, God's up to something. When you feel stressed, God's up to something. When you don't know what to do, God's up to something. Somebody ought to clap your hands if you got the faith to believe. God's working things out. God's doing something. James put it this way. Don't despise the fiery trials which are to try you as though some strange thing has happened. We often think that it's strange, but it's not strange. It should be quite familiar. God allowed this into our lives. Life can be intensely painful at times. And at this is this uncertainty is where we see here in David's life. The author describes how traumatic this experience was in verse 4 when we learn that David and the people that were with him raised their voices and they wept until they had no more power to weep. 
Has anybody ever been in that kind of position? I have. I, I'll be the first to admit. I have been in those positions where I had no more power to weep. But let me help you understand these people. The Bible says of these men, they were mighty men of valor. These were tough guys. The Bible says when they came to David, some were in debt, some were distressed. Some of them were fugitives and outlaws. They were, they were just the, the roughest guys in the neighborhood. And they were weeping until they had no more power to weep. Can I help somebody that thinks you're a tough guy? There's times in life where there's so much pressure and there's times in life where there's so many trials and so many things going on uh, where it doesn't matter how tough you are, the pressure is going to crack you. Well, I'll preach to myself. Hallelujah. The pressure's going to get to you. The pressure's going to crack you. Uh, the pressure's going to cause you to weep. Uh, there's the, there's going to be times uh, where you're going to have to hit your face and hit your knees uh, and begin to call on the name of the Lord. Uh, there's going to come moments where you don't know what to do, and so you begin to weep and you begin to cry. Uh, can I help somebody? Uh, it tells us in this scripture it would have been nearly impossible for those men to have been more traumatized than they currently were. They wept until there was nothing left to weep. These were hardened warriors at this time, and yet they wept to the point of exhaustion. David is among those men. He's not only a victim of this Amalekite enemy, but now he becomes the scapegoat for this disaster, and he hears his loyal comrades in arms that are now talking about him and talking down about him, and the author wants us to see that for David in particular, Particular, uh, this attack is not just singular, but it has two fronts. Uh, amen. It must have been absolutely overwhelming to David. Uh, trials and emotional pain uh, that accompanies them. Uh, amen. They run in this continuum. Uh, amen. It doesn't just go from nuisance to annoyance, uh, but now it's gone into the level of devastation and turmoil, uh, and he feels nothing but pain. I know there's people in the house of the Lord that have been there. This attack David and his men are experiencing was redlining the terror and the devastation category. Amen. The agony is so intense that you feel like you need grace just to endure one more moment. I know I'm preaching to somebody right now. I think we ought to lift up our hands and pray. I'm going to preach here in a moment, but I, I come to help somebody that you have been in that moment where you are troubled, as Paul said, troubled on every side. You're not just fighting a one-front war. You're fighting a multi-front war. you got war at home. you got war in church. you got war on your job. you got war in your finances. There's just a multiple front. you got people lying about you, talking about you. Amen, David. What you going to do in this moment of pressure? Somebody pray in this house. Hallelujah. I've been preaching about it for a while because I want somebody to get a hold of what I've been preaching about. Your mindset matters. Yes, it does. This world is tough, and your mindset has got to be tough. That's why you've got to let your mind be renewed by the power of the Holy Ghost. You can't make it without the Holy Ghost. David, you got to have God on your side. You haven't got God help your mind. Uh, can I preach to somebody? You've been trying to do it all by yourself. Life's going to break you. Life's going to crush you. But if you can get God on your side and you can get God to help you, you're going to be all right. Because we see two groups. We see David and we see David's men. 
They're all coming against David. They're speaking of stoning him. A guy they just lifted up and said, this is the greatest guy that ever lived. Again, those that cry Hosanna will eventually cry crucify him. Hallelujah. People that will people that'll pat you on the back are the same one that will stab you in the back. Just give it enough pressure. Hallelujah. Hey, hallelujah. Don't just... Don't, don't, don't let somebody fool you what they're capable of. Judas will betray you when the 5,000 leave. Hallelujah. But love them anyways in Jesus' name. David and his men are the two categories. David's men have come to Ziklag. They've come to the place of pressure. They've come to the trial. They've come to the tribulation. And David's men have already cracked. They've already let the pressure to get to them and get into their mind. They're already throwing in the towel. They've already accepted defeat. They've already started the process of declaring mutiny. Because if we're losing, we might as well blame somebody. It's interesting to me when people are losing in life and people are hurting and people are broken, they want to take and blame everybody else. Truth is, you don't have to blame nobody. Some things come because God has allowed them into your life, uh, and it's not a blame game. You don't got to blame the devil. You don't got to blame yourself, and you don't need to blame anybody else. Uh, what you got to do is you got to find some proactive, uh, amen, answers. Uh, you got to not blame anybody. That's reactive. Uh, you got to start being proactive and saying, God, I know what has happened. Uh, I know what is happening, uh, but, Lord, what I don't know is what to do next. Somebody put it best. Pressure doesn't make you. Pressure reveals you. There's already diamonds in the coal. It just hasn't been pressed yet. Hallelujah. There's already diamonds in your life. It just hasn't gone through the pressure yet. Amen. But I want to tell you, in the midst of there being diamonds in the coal, as long as it gets pressed, those diamonds will reveal themselves. As much as that's true of diamonds, it is also true that there are cracks and there are fissures and there are fault lines that when the pressure finally strikes, those things begin to become apparent. I came to preach to somebody. Uh, amen. Pressure doesn't make you. Pressure reveals you. Uh, and one of the greatest gifts God could ever give to you or I is let us go to Ziklag. Uh, and let us go to pressure. Uh, and let us go through hard times. Uh, and let us go through because God wants to show us uh, where there's cracks in the foundation. Hey, if you don't know where the cracks in the foundation are, all it's going to take is one more trial, and you're done for. All it's going to take is one more issue, and you're done for. One more earthquake, one more shake, and you're gone. But if God will reveal to you through pressure where the fault lines are, you can go and fix them. You can go. Oh, somebody ought to give God praise. Come on, you ought to thank God for pressure. It's a gift from heaven. I don't like it, neither do you. But I thank God for every sick lag moment, every pressurized moment that has helped me to reveal what the Lord really wants to bring out. Oh, somebody ought to lift up your hands and give God praise. Amen. You've got to let God put you through pressure. It's the only, you know, I found people. There's two groups. There's David and there's David's soldiers. I've seen people that have cracked and crumbled under pressure. And the same pressure has revealed the diamonds in other people. 
I've seen some people that couldn't make it through one trial, and I've seen somebody go through a worse trial than they've ever even considered, and they come out purified like gold. They come out better than they were when they went into it. Amen. Can I help somebody? The only difference is the mindset you have when you go through the pressure. The pressure got to them and revealed what was on the inside. They had already accepted defeat. They had already accepted their loss. Brother Troy did a great job preaching about the trenches and preaching about some military. So let me help continue on in that. Amen. Especially in America, the military doctrine. uh, There's a military doctrine known as acceptable loss. Anybody ever heard that? All right. Some military folk have heard that. It's not a fun one when you really consider it. An acceptable loss is also known as acceptable damage, acceptable casualties. It is a military euphemism used to indicate casualties or destruction inflicted by the enemy that is considered minor or tolerable. You can tolerate this amount of attack. You can tolerate this amount of casualty. In combat situations, leaders often have to face and choose between options where no one solution is perfect and all choices will lead to casualties or other costs to their own troops. They've got to make a decision. What are we willing to accept? Amen. Can I help somebody here today? I came to preach in the Holy Ghost. The devil's playground is your acceptable losses. I'm just going to preach. Where the devil gets joy is where you have accepted certain losses. Where you said, I'll allow this much, I'll allow this much casualty, I'll allow this much loss, I'll allow this much taken from me. And the devil says, ooh, I get some free stuff. Ooh, I get some free candy. And the devil comes by and he looks for people that are willing to give up one inch so he can take three miles. Wherever you've accepted losses, uh, the devil's got to have a heyday. Uh, I know people, they've fallen into this category. Uh, they say, oh, it looks like my joy's been taken. Uh, well, too bad. Uh, it looks like my peace has been taken. Well, I guess it's too bad. Uh, it looks like I'm losing my prayer life. I haven't prayed in a couple weeks, uh, but it's out of my control. Uh, too bad. Uh, looks like I'm losing my walk with God. Uh, too bad. Uh, it's an acceptable loss. Uh, looks like I'm losing my consecration. Uh, I've started letting up on some things I never thought I'd let up on, but I guess it happens. Uh, it's out of my control. I couldn't decide anything else, so too bad. Uh, looks like I'm losing the financial blessings God's brought into my life, uh, and the devourers come by and taking it away. Uh, too bad. Uh, looks like I'm losing my marriage, uh, and I tried a little bit, but I might as well just give up. Too bad. Uh, looks like I'm losing my kids. Uh, they're going off the rails. Too bad. Looks like I'm losing my ministry that I prayed for and fought for and worked for. But okay, it's an acceptable loss. Looks like I'm losing my soul. That's what an acceptable loss looks like. Okay, it happens. Too bad for me. We accept the loss. We take the L. We learn how to survive on less than our maximum potential. And I've come to preach to somebody, you got to take it back. 
You've let the devil come in and wreak havoc in your life, and you've accepted it and taken the L, but I've come to preach to somebody, take it back. You've let pressure uh, cause you to fall. Uh, you ought to take back your consecration. Uh, you've allowed pressure uh, to cause you to go backwards. Uh, you ought to take back uh, every avenue uh, and every territory. Uh, you ought to take back uh, everything uh, the adversary stole. Somebody ought to clap your hands and give God a shout of praise. Come on. Come on. Don't accept the loss. Don't accept the L. It's not acceptable. It's an unacceptable loss. We've accepted losses. Amen. I've come to preach to somebody, minister. We've got to be careful because in the 21st century, we've accepted some losses in the church. There are saints that have accepted some losses. There are visitors. You are here today. God bless you. Man, I thank God you made it to the house of the Lord. You're going to take some things back today. But you know what an acceptable loss looks like? When you settle. You settle for drinking all night, waking up and not knowing your name. You settle. You accepted that this is what my life is going to be like. You've accepted the fact, amen, that you're going to go and you're going to go to this and you're going to go to that. You're going to party. You're going to maybe make a little bit of money and, 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 and just live right here at the base level as if that's the most God has for you and the most life has for you. Maybe have a couple kids, buy a little house, get yourself some life insurance, and then die even before you truly lived. And you've accepted it as a win when the truth is it was a loss. Somebody put it best, and they said the, the wealthiest place in the world is at the graveyard. Because therein lies ideas that were never actualized. Therein lies dreams and visions that were never seen to fruition. There lies, amen, inventions that were never invented. Therein lies, I want to help somebody here today. The devil has gotten you to just stay right where you are. Amen. He's taken some things and taken enough from you. You got Stockholm Syndrome. What is that? Your captor has taken you, and you fall in love with your captor and start thinking he's a pretty good guy. But I want to tell you, the devil will never offer to you something better than what God has offered to you. It's an unacceptable loss for you to not reach the top of what God has for you. It's an unacceptable loss for your marriage to not be the best that it could be. It's an unacceptable loss for your kids to not be saved. It's an unacceptable loss for you to not reach your ministry potential. It's an unacceptable loss. And then you got group number two, and I'm just about done. You got David's men that have accepted the loss. They took the L. I lost it. It's gone. And then you got David. And I love David. Because the Bible even declares before he ever fought a giant, he fought a lion and a bear. You know why he did that? The Bible says he was fighting for the lamb. Not the lambs. Not plural Hallelujah. Can I help somebody? David didn't have any acceptable losses. David said, you can't have one or a hundred of the lambs. You can't have one, let alone 20 of them. You can't have one, let alone the whole flock. Can I preach to somebody? Your mindset's got to shift. Devil, you don't get one thing that God ever gave to me. 
You don't get one revelation. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father above all, through all, and in us all. You don't get one revelation. You don't get one soul. You don't get one part of my joy. This joy I have. The world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. This peace I got came by the hand of the Prince of Peace. Amen. Let's stand across the building. David did not have any acceptable losses. David did not accept that Israel was about to be bullied by a giant. David did not accept that the flock was going to have one less. Well, at least we still got the rest of the church. Nope. Not one. Lost to David. David did not accept this loss. Can I help the church? Neither should we. I want you to think about how passionate they were when they found out what they lost. The Bible says they wept until they had nothing left in the tank to weep with. They cried their very last tear. But here's a secret for you. As passionate as you were when you came to the altar and cried about it, you have to convert that passion into taking it back. Let me say that again. As passionate as you were when it happened to you and you went through the pressure and you came to the church and you prayed and you cried and you sought God and you still lost it and you felt like it's over and done with and you cried and you wanted somebody to talk to, that same passion's got to be converted to the ability to take back everything that has been stolen from you. Let me help somebody understand what I mean. Three things. Everybody say three things. All right. Number one, what did David do? First things first. Well, there's four things, but I'll talk about three of them. First things first, he encouraged himself in the Lord. Sometimes you just need a little stare in that mirror and say, it's going to be all right. But really, there's three things he did proactively. The first thing he did, everybody say pray. pray. He prayed. Well, I'm passionate about complaining about it. I'm passionate about crying about it. I'm passionate about telling everybody on the prayer list to pray for me. Well, hallelujah. Pray for me. See, that's, that's what most people want. Can you pray for me? True story is, have you prayed for yourself? We'll pray for you. But I believe God will hear your praise as much as he hears anybody else's prayers. And I can pray for you to be healed. But the Bible says you two or three agree together as touching anything. And I can want you to be healed more than you want to be healed because you don't want to pray about it. Now I'm really preaching. you got to pray if you're going to be patient enough to cry about it and to lose it and to weep till you got no more tears. you got to pray to get it back. Everybody say pray. you got to pray to get it back. The second thing, David, he heard from God. And what did God say? 
Just keep praying, David. Do nothing. Sit on that church pew and do nothing about it. You just go ahead and hang out and just you just have a shout fest and, and everything going to be working out. Nope. Everybody shout pursue. Everybody shout aloud in that pursue. I've been shouting all day. Say pursue. You can't just pray about some things. You're going to have to go after them. You can't just pray about it. You got to do what the preacher said on Wednesday. You got to walk by faith. You got to get out of your trench. Stop praying about it and start working towards. Well, what does that look like? Let's, let's give an example. Let's say you're struggling with your finances. Pray about it. Please, please pray about it. Or you're going broke. Pray about it. Pray about it. Pray about it. Pray about it. You know the next part? You got a budget. I wish I had an amen from somebody. You got to pursue. What does pursuit look like in the natural? Pursuit says I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to go however many miles it takes. Brother Diaz, I got some shouts when I was out here in the stratosphere talking about the the uh, the ether and talking about all these mystic things. But the moment I started talking about budgeting, I don't know what happened. Let's say your marriage is struggling. Pray about it. Ask God to help you. Pray together. Well, if you pray together, you're probably just going to stay together. But hey, hallelujah. What do I know? Hey, man, you got to pray about it. And you got to pursue it. Well, hallelujah. What's that look like? Take her on a date, sir. Well, praise God. All right, let's go back to the spiritual. You got to pray. You got to pursue to get it back. Everybody say fight. Shout fight. When you get, what happened to the anger that you had just a few moments ago? What happened to the anger that God put down in your soul that says, I don't accept this? Listen, I'm having too much fun. We're going to eat chicken and play volleyball. It's going to be awesome. But you know, so many of us say, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to, ready to go that extra mile. Listen, let me put it in some real terms. This is what kind of fight you got to have. Brother Gideon, I'm your pastor. I love you. You got your hand holding your wife. He's already pursuing. He's already, my God. He's man of God. Man of God right here. Whew. How would you feel right now if I just punched your wife square in the nose? That's right. Say it again. I will take you out. You would take me out. And we ain't talking to, we ain't talking to custard or chicken. We're talking about he would knock me out. But yet I see the devil coming into people's homes and just popping people in the nose left and right, day by day, week by week, week by week. Well, I guess it happens. I guess it happens. What emotion would you feel, Brother Gideon? You'd probably feel anger. You'd probably feel rage. You wouldn't care what my title was. You wouldn't care how annoying I said I was. You would rear back and punch me as hard, if not harder, than I ever punched your wife. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to help somebody really get a hold of what I'm preaching today. you got to pray about it. Yeah. With what passion? 
the same passion. I'm about to fight. You gotta pursue with what passion? The same anger that's gonna drive me when I see him dancing. Now, if it didn't make it any worse, brother, they punched David square in the nose and they took his wife's, plural, we'll talk about that another time. And then they started shouting, getting excited. Nothing makes me more angry than when I see the devil take somebody out and get excited about it. And nothing makes me more angry than when the devil takes somebody out and that family member that's still in church is apathetic about it. Pastor, pray for my kids. You pray for your kids. I'll pray with you. Let's come to church. Will you meet me at prayer meeting? Will you be at Bible study? I'm tired of the devil coming in and taking over. We got to take back. Somebody ought to shout. Somebody ought to shout. We got to fight back. We got to pursue to get it back. We got to pray to get it back. But brothers and sisters, we can't stay where we are and get it back. done right here. You got to pray about it. You got to pursue it. And you got to fight for it. No devil in hell. Listen, brother, sister, elder, you touch my wife, I'm knocking you out. I'll pray about it later. Well, praise God. Devil, you mess with the church. God's bride. You think God's not going to fight for his bride? You got another thing coming. You think you can mess with the church of the living God and God not lose it on you? You got another thing coming. God's going to come down with a mighty hand. You want to know what praying about it passionately does? You want to know what pursuing passionately about it does? Listen, if you want to recover all, you got to passionately pursue all. Don't pursue what you don't accept. Well, I'll get 50% back and be okay with it. David didn't pray about acceptable losses. David said, Lord, they took it all. What do I do? And God told him, if you'll start marching towards all, if you start fighting for all, guess what you get back? To my 95% brother or sister, I hope you can come up 5%. For my 50% brother or sister, I pray God brings you up 50%. Because if you pursue 50, you get 50. If you pursue 75, you get 75. But if you pursue 100%, you get it all back. Somebody ought to shout. Somebody ought to clap your hands. I want it all back. Not some, not a little, not 99. I want it all. 100% of my joy, 100% of my peace, 100% of my walk with God, 100% of my marriage, 100% of my family, 100% of my kids. I want 100%.
David recovered some. David recovered. I wish that would get in somebody's soul today. Put yourself in David's shoes. Pastor Hood recovered. ARC recovered. What would happen today if you just get that passion in your soul? In fact, I want you to come down to this front. We're going to lift up our hands. They're going to sing here in a moment. But I want you to lift up your hands with passion that says, God, I'm not coming for 95%. I'm not coming for 65%. I'm not coming for 99%. Tell all, I'm coming for all. All of my potential. All of what God said is mine. Everything, 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 everything. Get mad about it. Pray with passion. Pray. Let your anger against the adversary fuel your prayer. Let the anger against the devil fuel your pursuit. Let the anger pursue. Somebody shout. Devil, you can't have my joy. Devil, you can't have my peace. You had yesterday, but you can't have today, and you'll never have tomorrow. Somebody ought to give God praise. By the hand of God, I'm recovering all. By the power of God, I'm recovering all. Everything that was stolen, everything removed is coming back. Come on. In the name of Jesus. Taking it. 